Hello again, it's time for another episode of Customers Who Click. Before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to know one little thing. What is the most important topic in marketing to you right now? What are you thinking about? What's got you curious? Uh, what might make a good uh, podcast topic? Just tweet me at Will Lawrence or drop me a message on LinkedIn. Today, I've got Chase Climber with me. We're going to be talking about the importance of scaling your website with your business. So many brands get to about $1 million a year in revenue on their website, but then they get a bit stuck. They've used a basic Shopify template, uh, maybe played with a few apps, but no one really knows what they're doing with one of the core assets of the business, and no one really owns it. Chase is here to explain some of the things you can be doing to keep your business scaling. Hi, Chase. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, a bit of your background and kind of how you've got to where you are now? Thanks for having me. Uh, I love being on other podcasts. It's it's fun to see the other formats and, and pick some stuff up for our, our podcast. So I guess that's one thing I do is I'm also a podcast host in the space. Uh, I've been doing honest e-commerce for about 2 years now. Uh, but getting into e-commerce uh, is a journey a little bit older than that. Probably 7 or 8 years ago is when my business partner and I uh, accidentally started an agency, as most do. Um, and since then, we have failed forward into what's working pretty good for us. Uh, and uh, we're loving it. We're uh, kind of hanging out in the direct-to-consumer Shopify world, uh, helping brands just you know make a bunch more money over there. Oh, yeah. Sounds good. Um, I think we're actually uh, we're recording on your podcast uh, in a few days, actually. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out uh, which episode comes out first, though. <laughs> Better double check that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, so what would you guys do exactly? Do you have a particular kind of core focus? Yeah, yeah. I mean, over the years, we've kind of d- dabbled in this and that. And I think that's, you know, I- I'm sure th- your audience is po- probably a little bit similar to my audience, as in, like, not only are there brands listening to the show, but there's also just people in the space that are always curious about kind of building an agency or like going from being a freelancer to a founder. And I think one of the things that you really got to do in this world is uh, kind of figure out what you like to do and what you don't like to do. Um, so these days, we're very, very focused on kind of this particular concept of uh, helping brands that have found their product market fit just truly kind of get to that hockey stick growth thing that everyone's all you know all wanting to do. You know, there's a bunch of ways to approach that, but at the end of the day, we're building like we're we're basically coming in rebuilding websites, implementing automation systems and processes into these clients' businesses, helping them strategize their paid and owned media kind of strategies behind their marketing um, and just essentially like turning up the gas on what they've already got going. Uh, so that usually results in you know a brand new website that is tailor-made for the client. It's purpose-built. It's lightning fast. Uh, has a lot of cool stuff in there kind of for upsell and cross-sell motivation to increase your AOV. Um, and then on the tail end of that stuff, we're helping them market it through you know Facebook, Google, uh, and uh, you know we're huge fans of what's going on in this space with text messaging and email marketing. Uh, today, Clavio just announced a crazy round, and I'm sure we can talk about that in a minute. But yeah, that's all we're up to. Yeah, let's just quickly talk about that Clavio round. Then uh, I didn't actually know about that. Oh, it's that uh, just today. Yeah, today I, I, I the numbers are somewhere around a quarter of a million raised for a 9.5 billion evaluation. Oh yeah, wow. I mean, it's uh, uh, it's a good platform. Uh, oh yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing tool. Um, it's it, it's usually if a client isn't on it, we just go, yeah, you're doing this anyway. Do you just want to like cut this off into the first thing we do together? And like, this is going to show you, you know, how it is to work with us and like 
also this is like just the biggest win you're ever going to have yeah exactly what's really key for you about this um the kind of d2c experience then what you know if you're going into a new client and you're you know looking at revamping the website and and all that sort of thing what are what is just key to to getting it all right yeah i think what is what's key to getting it right is having a process to follow and the way that we approach things is Honestly, we we have named it the brand scaling framework. But I'll give you, I'll let you in on a little secret here, Will. It's the same across the board in any business that you're in. You got to focus on the main KPIs that are driving that top line, especially if you want to talk about scaling. And that's what we do. So when we are talking with new clients and prospects, we are pretty focused on three particular KPIs. The first being the conversion rate, the second being the average order value, and the third being the amount of sessions that you're, you know, usually Shopify store is getting. Um, and we have a lot of in-depth conversations about those. We have a lot of processes around how to increase each of those individual KPIs. Um, and that is usually the result of that is nine times out of ten a brand new website that's solving a bunch of problems that we have found through kind of discovery. And also, you know, there are a lot of things that happen when brands kind of hit that million dollar mark because they're usually getting there on their own. Without like a key team member or key player that like understands the e-commerce technology that they're using, understands marketing throughout. Like these brands are hitting kind of that one million dollar mark per year, just building an awesome product and building a cool brand. That helps you get to one million. You know, it's the systems, it's the functionalities behind it, it's the resources that you're using that help you go from like one million to ten million. And you know, I think it's I think it's like so much harder to go from zero to one million than it is to go to one to ten million. But uh, that's I guess that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, I think that makes sense. You know, if if you're getting to that one million, you've like you said earlier, you've kind of proved that the the product is kind of attractive to people. You've probably found that product market fit. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just a case of scaling either what you've got in place or just finding a way to scale it. Whereas if you can't get to that first million. There's that probably indicates there's quite some fundamental issues with, with the product or the business. Um, yeah, usually it comes down to you know the offer is probably not right is like a, a pretty clear indicator. If uh, people have a lot of questions about it or they're not buying uh, in a good rate that makes sense, you know it's probably what the way you're positioning what you're trying to sell is probably off. Yeah. What are some of the other mistakes, like common mistakes you see when when you come into a new business, uh, a new client? Yeah, I mean, we do our due diligence up front when we're we're talking to clients. And that's usually that's the that's the one thing that everyone needs to know is we're not right for everybody. Every agency isn't right for every client. And we're like very particular about it and very honest about it. And we're like, this is the type of client we're looking for. Um, and that usually helps us lead to like the, the cool successes that we have because we know it works for those particular, you know, that subset of the e-commerce community. Um, so when we're going in there, what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a strong conversion rate, um, and I'm <laughs> I, honestly I'm looking for an ugly website. I want I want an ugly website. I want like no marketing. It, it, I want no marketing automation in place. Like this, I'm, now I'm just naming a dream client, right? Will yeah. So <laughs> what I want is like you're doing like a million dollars a year with just the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life, and all of the people that I show the website are scratching their head like, how does this work? How are they doing it? Because then I know that they just have a ravaging fan base of this product. They have the offer nailed in. Their product is great. So I know 
whatever we do is just going to be a home run. Like that's what I'm looking for. But brands come in all shapes and sizes. So, uh, you know, it just uh, like it's a kind of an arbitrary number. Million dollars a year is an arbitrary number. I would just say like you need to have some some leading indicators that uh, that you do have product market fit. You know, maybe that means you have repeat customers or you're getting some cool press. Uh, your conversion rate is you know okay. Um, you know, those are some, those are the things we're looking for because it just, you know, I truly believe that no, no agency out there can help you solve underlying sales problems, i.e. help you find product market fit, help you work on your offer. That's kind of something that a brand and they need to take on on their own. It's usually a founder's problem. Um, you know, and so by looking for these strong, KPIs already that like are coming from a result of a strong product market fit kind of help us rule out a lot of like smaller brands younger in their journey you know where they're still working on product market fit and they haven't round, right they haven't found it right yet like we're not really the best to working with them yeah it makes sense so it's kind of when they've they've hit that spot where they're thinking cool we've got a business here like what next how do we that's How that's literally this? that's the simplest way to put it. When you get to that spot, you're like, okay, we've done is what do we do next? And we are a perfect partner to be like, all this stuff, let's do it. This is gonna be so much fun. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, particularly the marketing. Well, for me, like the marketing automation side is key. Um, I don't know if you see it, but I I definitely see a lot of smaller businesses that either don't have really have nothing in place but it's normally just a a couple of basic emails you know maybe a, a welcome email for the newsletter um to be honest quite often no welcome series uh in place and once you make that purchase you just start getting those weekly campaigns yeah and i think there's something to be said about you know the just getting started element of it we had a we had a uh a project a while back. I'm trying to use some very specific words here, but a project a while back, and the hanging point was they were very, very. Uh, they didn't want to follow our process, which is a red flag. But um, you know, essentially, the hang up was like we we felt they felt extremely special about their design, and the design was their differentiating factor of their brand, right? And I basically just had to like halt everything and go. No one will see these designs in these emails if we don't get it started and you know start testing stuff, start testing the subject lines because the subject lines sell the open. No one's going to see how much time we've spent on what's inside this to like ha- help you guys make money until we just get this thing started. So I want to like really press out there just getting started and just getting something done is infinitely better than waiting for it to be perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I completely agree. And especially as it's never going to be perfect. No. Right? And that's, that's a, yeah. Your website's never optimized. It will never be done. And if you think that you're going to get to that point within some magical project with a consultant or a freelancer or an agency, you know, the hard news is, you know, technology is going to change and it changes rapidly. You're in a very, very technology like focused industry with D2C. Like, you're going to be engaging people for the rest of the business. I mean, it's 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 what I do <laughs> all the time. Uh, it's you know optimization of of websites and, and email campaigns and workflows and things. And yeah, like occasionally you get a, a client or someone who's who's just really really particular, and it's you know 
it's almost like on a pixel by pixel, like almost that level of this isn't quite right. Let's do this and let's do that. And you're kind of like, well, that's not going to make that much difference. Can we just, why don't we get this live and then we can start testing things and, and putting a prioritization plan in place for that. Um, yeah. There's a difference. You know, I, what I kind of want to highlight with what you said there is like, there's a difference in like, you know, having the discipline to believe in your vision. Like, that's one thing, but like, not listening to someone you're paying good money to tell you what to do to help you get to your vision and just going with your gut. Like, those are two different things. So, like, you, when you're, you know, being pig hearted and focused on your goal, which is, you know, what you hear a lot in some of these self help books about how to grow a business. Like, I believe truly in that, but like, if you're if you're hiring smart people to help you get to those goals and then ignoring their advice, you're just sabotaging yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was actually having a conversation with uh, might have been my flatmates actually, and just kind of talking about how quite often you see the way the way kind of business owners or the senior people respond to the feedback they get from employees versus external third parties. Right. Generally, what I've found is they will listen to those third parties, almost like whatever you say is like gospel. You are the expert. They've brought you in specifically to help with this. And yet the employee who they've also technically, you know, they've, that's what they've done that, uh, there as well. You know, they've brought this employee in because that employee knows that space and, and should know how to get the best out of it. And yet so often they'll be pushed back against what the employee says. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. think, I think it's, it's such a weird, a weird situation. Um, you know, fortunately, yeah, I haven't, I haven't had too much um, difficulty and pushback on things where, unless it's actually like warranted and they have a reason for saying no to something and they can actually kind of back it and say, this is why we're not, we, we can't do that. Yeah. And I think where we're getting at with all this is we need to highlight that like a founder's job isn't to solve problems. It's to delegate outcomes. And it's like a, it's a, mindset shift that a lot of people need to get into. Yeah, I like that. I don't think I've heard that before, but I like that. <laughs> um, I did not make it up, but I don't remember where I stole it from. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's probably on the lines of some other stuff I've heard. You know, Obviously, like you hire people, uh, you hire people who are smarter than you um, to do certain tasks. It's kind of on those lines of yeah. you, know, you, you bring in the experts to do those expert bits. Yeah. Also, I mean, I just with like employees, if we're talking about from the perspective of like a D2C brand, I'm I'm assuming the employees are interacting with the customers like a lot more uh than the rest of the people. Like as a consultant, um, we're kind of in the background. I don't really just, I don't talk to my clients' customers that often. Um, and so anytime an idea comes up from people that are actually like interfacing with the, those customers. I think the ideas are like just so important, and it, I think the insights are just so awesome because you'll hear about, you know, questions that people have about the product, and you're like, well, that can be solved by you know doing this to the product page, or by you know, you're right, the way that we are uh, displaying the variants is highly confusing. We should dumb it down to make it simpler to get to where people want to go. Um, you know that those are insights that are kind of battle tested. They're out there in the world, and they're like, hey, like you know, this just isn't working. Like, and here's an idea that might fix it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's the, that customer feedback so underrated, especially just through customer service channels. Um, you know, loads of businesses will do surveys um, and things like that. 
every now and again to try and get some of that feedback in. But there's so much of it just sat there in your customer service tool um, on, on various different aspects. You know, if you're, if you're tagging and categorizing everything properly as well, it should be really easy to to jump in there and quickly find the top top few questions about deliveries and shipping, and just yeah. and just say, look, this week that's what we're going to focus on. Let's find out what people think about that. Dive into the customer service tool. Um, read those emails, read those queries, uh, maybe speak to some people, uh, you know, like phone them up um, t- to get that next level of feedback. But um, yeah, it, yeah, it's funny. The, uh, I speak with brands often on the on my show. I, I like try to highlight and speak to more brand founders because I feel like... Uh, I, I just feel like our audience really appreciates hearing it from like, you know, the horse's mouth. Is that how you say that saying? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so uh, it's funny that I see oftentimes like the founders are like, as I as I've grown in this business and delegated more and more, you know, to key players that I trust within you know my organization, I'm now spending more time actually talking to my customers. Like I'll legit pick up the phone and call people if they say I can, and I'll just ask them questions and I'll get these key insights that I can, you know, as like you know the visionary of the brand, I can then use that to help solve problems or future issues that might be coming up. Um, and just you know, at the end of the day, is to add more clarity to the offer of the product that you're trying to sell. Um, that was a very high, high level view of saying like you should definitely <laughs> you should just talk to your customers more. Yeah, yeah, I've um, I've done that a lot myself um, as an employee previously and uh, and as a, a founder. Um, and the, the the insight you get is incredible. Uh, it really can it can change your kind of view on the. Uh, not completely on your product, but you can kind of you get a completely different viewpoint when you actually understand how the customers see the product as opposed to how you see it. Because obviously you've been you've been sat on it for a year, two years maybe. So like in your head, you've got that pretty fixed definition of what it is. Um, but the customer might tell you otherwise. Um, yeah. It's so one of those it, things. Oh go on, go. It's just one of those things where you're too close to it because you're doing it every day. Like then, and it kind of just backpedals from there. Of like, you're too close to your website. Of course, you know how to find every product because you've been using that thing forever. But if you talk to a new customer, or you know, maybe an older customer, like an age, they might be highly confused by your over-designed mega menu, and it doesn't make sense to them. And those are things that you're not going to know just because you're so close to it every day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you someone. You know, I, I might say to a client just for example, uh, no one knows about your returns policy. And they might say, well, but it's on the website. It's right there. And it's, you know, it's, it's just so obvious to them because they probably designed the page in the first place yeah. and, and made sure it was on there. So they, they know it's there. Um, so you've got to try and explain that. Well, actually, you know, customers aren't browsing to that bit of the page. Like they're, they're just not seeing it. Um, I know there's a lot of, a lot of assumptions on certain things like that, that people will scroll to the footer, for example, because on pretty much every website you get in the footer, contact us, about us, shipping, returns, uh, careers, that sort of thing. So I think, you know, sometimes there's a bit of an assumption that people know that that is there and therefore will just, if they want that information, they'll scroll to the bottom of the page. Um, but it doesn't, doesn't really work like that. Yeah, I mean, I I will say that I have given that advice quite often of just like chuck some of that stuff in the footer. But I think you know, 
specifically to the returns policy, I think that deserves kind of modifying the PDP and, you know, putting a link to the returns policy, like right there next to the add to cart button or the buy now button. Heck, maybe even just make it a modal that pops up when they click on the thing. But uh, yeah, uh, you can kind of, there's a bunch of ways to do it. And at the, you know, I guess at the end of the day with optimization, it comes down to like, there are a lot of best practices, but you still got to test them all, see which one works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I actually ran an interesting test with a client uh, recently uh, with Klarna. And we, so we added uh, Klarna buy now pay later as a, as an image beneath the call to action and conversion rate has dropped like quite, you know, quite noticeably, probably 5%. But we've also, we also tested one which had a, which was a similar image, but instead of buy now pay later, it said sleep now pay later. Which is just related to the products, like related yeah. to the, the pain point of the that the product solves, and that has seen about a five to ten percent increase in conversion rate. But I just I found it really interesting that the, the kind of standard Klarna line actually had a negative impact, and that's what most businesses tend to put on there. Or they do the uh, you know the price breakdown and says pay X amount every month for three months. Yeah, I think. I think that's something that uh, you and I might fall victim to is we're so used to it these days of like what Karna's up to and like why it exists in our ecosystem. And I think that like I'm overexposed to it and the typical shopper was probably like, what is Karna? Um, so, you know, I think that's something that I just need to start thinking about more. Yeah. I mean, I, personally, I hadn't even come across it until about a year ago. Um, and that was only because of work. Uh, but uh, to be fair, I've not really spent much over the last year because I haven't had to. Um, but I've only used it for the first time uh, about a month ago. I don't um, know if I've ever used it, but their uh, their US headquarters is in our city in Columbus, Ohio. So um, you know, way back when, when in person meetups were still a thing, we used to host the the e commerce meetup in our area, um, and they would always come out and, and support the local community, which was was fantastic. So I was very familiar with with the with their offering for you know. Basically, right after they got the, the American office set up, like they hit me up and took me to lunch. Oh, nice! That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, cool. So, uh, so, just going back to the, the, the kind of website stuff, then. Yeah. What is and this the kind of brand scaling framework? I guess let's let's go yeah. to that back to go that back. a little bit. Um, so you talked about you know you'll generally kind of revamp a website for people, which is great. Bit of marketing automation. What's what's key for the customer? What what is it that that you think really gets people like really creates that growth, that sustainable growth? I think a lot of it is honestly that these are numbers that they know matter, but they don't know why they matter and they don't know how and what impacts those numbers. So a lot of what we're doing is not only, you know, drawing out this kind of playbook together of this is what we're going to do x y and z. But also, we're going to educate you on to why these things matter, how you can impact them, and what you can't impact. You know, there's the acts of God that will impact all those numbers, but you can't rely on that. So we're going to show you these are the things you can do, and you know what I mean. Effort in is always going to improve and it produce something out. Um, so you know, there's there's often a bit of education. There's a lot of uh, process involved in it. This isn't our first rodeo, but I mean, what it comes down to is. When we're when we're working with these types of clients, they're usually on some iteration of a premium theme that's existed out in the ecosystem that we're probably familiar with, to be honest. Um, 
But what happens as well is they're like installing and uninstalling like every single app in the Shopify app store, which just turns their code into spaghetti and noodles. Um, and it's just so slow. And any sort of updates you're trying to do are going to take twice as long and be twice as hard because you can't, uh, you just can't predict what's going on in that code. And all, you know, and all that extra stuff slows down the website. Um, so when you're talking about some more high level updates that you want to make to, like, say, the PDP page, and like now you're talking about getting the offers and, and offering bundling and cross sells and stuff, like it gets to a point here where it is more work to use what you have than it is to start over. I don't know how 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 much you guys are getting into full builds, but we've kind of drawn a line in the sand where it's like unless this is like straight up. Like a theme we built, or like a theme that like is out of the box from like a third party kind of like a uh, like a an archetype theme, or you know a trustworthy source of it in the Shopify ecosystem. It's like you kind of just don't know what's going on in there, and you know it's usually a better idea just to start over from scratch because it's usually really slow, really buggy, and and not a good good idea to kind of use as a base because it's just gonna. You're inheriting so much technical debt, and it's going to shoot you in the foot in the long run. Yeah, I was actually um, I had a really good conversation with Derek Haney uh, on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, all all about those kind of marketing stacks, uh, the tech stacks. And uh, yeah, he's he was I think he was saying one of the biggest issues he sees is uh, people who who go into that that app store, Shopify app store, and just basically hit install on five or six different plugins at the same time. Oh my and, gosh. And then a lot of the time, don't even like use them much, really. You know, you know, it's almost like, like I know I'm guilty of similar things where I will see a bunch of things I like and I will uh, kind of grab them and put them. Uh, I guess for me, it's more like blog articles and, and things like that. You know, I will have one browser window that's just full of all of those, and I will just get to them when I get to them. But obviously, it's much worse when you're doing it with with the plugins when you're installing them. So you've kind of got them saved, I guess. I think maybe that's what people are thinking. Like, I don't want to forget about this, so I'll I'll hit install now, so it's in our list, and we can figure out the com- configuration another time. Yeah, but what they're not considering is a it just shotgun sprayed a bunch of code into your theme, which. For a non-technical person, what that did is it has added complexity to any future development work that you are going to have a, a developer or, or an agency or a contractor do. B, it has slowed down your theme. Just point blank. Anytime you install an, uh, an app, it's going to slow down your theme. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Even if the app says it won't, they're lying. It will. It is a technical. It more load. It is a real thing. It will always slow down your theme. How much it slows it down, though, is that's the where you can get into an argument. Um, but you know, you do that once, you do that twice, okay. But when you've tested, you know, twenty or thirty apps over the course of a year, plus any other iterating and improvements that you've made to that, um, if you weren't doing it in a way that was uh, with the foresight of removing that code, because here's a surprise for everybody listening: the second you pu- you press uninstall uh, with that app. Uh, that app can no longer access your store, and that code is still in your theme file and still ready to gum up the works with any future stuff. Um, so you know, just just because you only have five or six apps currently, um, if you've tested twenty or thirty, all of that extra code exists in there, 
Um, and just point blank, no developer wants to find it all. Yeah. Have you got any have you got any kind of advice on how you might be able to manage that more properly? Yeah, I mean this the the way to do it, the correct way to do it is to clone your current theme, install the app on the backup theme, test it, and if you like it, then use kind of like that backup theme as your main theme now. But if you don't like it, revert to the theme that you just had that didn't have it on it. You know what I mean? Okay, so yeah, duplicate your site basically. Test yeah. out like test the plugin on the new version. Uh, if you don't like it, you can revert back. Uh, but if you, if you do like it, would you would you switch to that new version of the site, or would you just install it on the? Oh yeah, you can just like activate the the version of the theme that you just made that you're testing it on, and that's that's perfectly fine. But then you know you kind of just want to have like a. You always want to have your current theme. You always want to have a backup theme that should be identical to your current theme. And then you can like clone that to make your, your test theme from. Because it's always a good idea to have a backup. Because then you sometimes you accidentally install things on things. And you're like, oh, sh- crap, which one is the right one? But then you can get more technical with it. And if you have a developer or like an agency that is worth their salt, they're going to tie everything through ThemeKit to a GitHub repository. And everything's going to be backed up with... like branches to know exactly what happened. And then it gets a lot easier to point fingers at things like this is what's breaking it or this is who installed this thing that broke that thing. Yeah, if you've got the um, the development resource. But, yeah, that's um, a little bit of a of, learning curve. to. Exp- I, yeah, that, that's definitely like 300 level how to do it. The 100 level how to do it is duplicate your current theme, test the app on the duplicated part of the theme. And if you don't like it, just delete that duplicated theme and call it a day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's really useful advice, actually. Um, I, I imagine a lot of these smaller companies just don't think of this. Um, you know, these... not at all. And then it's it is every every single time we start working with a client, they're like, "Yeah, we've like tried, you know, a couple dozen apps." And I'm like, "That's a lot." Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Again, back to the conversation with Derek, he said, you know, really, really assess, like, really in detail assess them. Don't. Don't just read the uh, like the kind of basic store page um, and go, yeah, this should do what I want to do. So let's install it and try it out. Um, I imagine free trials kind of contribute to that a lot. You know, if there's a free trial for an app, then it's almost like, well, why not? I might as well just give it a go. Um, but yeah, if you don't know about that um, that tech problem uh, that you're causing yourself, it could uh, it's going to come back to to bite you. I yeah, I guess this is kind of a good segue into you know the other thing that exists in the ecosystem is you know beyond the beyond the apps and 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 the kind of all those things apps exist to solve problems right, but also you can usually solve those problems just within the theme itself, um, but then you're kind of again you're walking this line between like do I need a custom theme or do I need you know can this premium theme off the shelf work for me? And, and a really good way to think about it, and Anne Thomas uh, is, is someone who actually used this kind of analogy. Um, she was just saying, all right, a custom theme is like walking into a tailor and having them take all of your measurements and giving you something that is purpose-built for the way your body works. Now, a premium theme is walking into Express and pulling something off the shelf. While you can kind of get that tailored to you, it's still... you know, it's." Does it solve the problem for you? Sure. 
but you're probably not going to wear that suit on like the red carpet or something like that. Um, you know, the, the, a premium theme exists to help kind of brands that are scaling, in my opinion, or not scaling, sorry, startup brands, in my opinion. Um, once you, it, it's really kind of again around that million dollar mark. Once you hit that, the financial gains, literally, that you'll see from investing in a custom theme extremely outweigh the price difference between getting like an agency uh, to build you a custom tailored theme versus getting you know getting something off the shelf. Um, it's just there's so much extra junk in those premium themes, and by junk I mean literal just junk. They're they're built to solve every problem for everybody, which works when you're a startup and the you need kind of that agility and you just you need something that works because you're busy focusing on brand you're busy busy iterating on your offer you're working on product market fit so the technicalities of your website can kind of take a back seat but once you solve all that stuff and you're like okay like all this works now like let's we're talking about scaling we're talking about how to systemize the growth of our business then those technical things really matter um so I, I love a lot of premium themes that exist out there. We're partners with a lot of them and I and I recommend them to a lot of listeners on my show and possibly yours if they're curious. Like it solves a point. But I say once you kind of surpass that million dollar mark, you're jumping into the custom game uh with an agency that knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that's that's what I was thinking as you were as you were kind of talking us through it. Yeah, it's it's another one of those things where it'll it'll last you for a while until you hit a certain point and then it's probably going to be something that's more of a blocker um to, yeah. to your growth so as long as you're aware to, of that yeah it goes back to kind of like you know though like i said those those premium themes are trying to solve everything for everybody so when you like try to iterate upon those themes to do really custom cool things um it kind of is like drawing at a string and you're unraveling the whole sweater before you know it Whereas if you're building something from the ground up, you're gonna know already that like, oh, we're gonna build this really custom feature and we need to like and we're gonna know how it integrates with the rest of the website because of this, that, and the next, because like we built the whole thing. Um, also, like custom websites are so much faster than all of those premium themes. Oh my gosh, so much faster. And speed is key on e-commerce, uh, because people are lazy. I don't know, that's the best way to describe it, I guess. Yeah, people don't don't want to wait around. I think you can get away with it a little bit um but if every single page on your website is taking three four five maybe longer uh, seconds to to load you're not going to get people through the process um they they will get fed up you know i think obviously there'll be people who disappear just straight away with with any sort of delay um but i do think there there'll be people who are willing to, to kind of put up with it a little bit but yeah if it's just if it's a case of every single page they're having to wait for it to load. Um, yeah, people are lazy. People are busy. Or if people yeah. aren't busy, they they think they are. They've got life other is, things. Yeah, well, life is happening. You know, they were browsing your website on the subway and they just couldn't get to where they wanted, and now they're gone. You know what I mean? Like they're never going to come back to your website because you yeah. couldn't get it done in that five minute you know window that they had available to do it. Um, yeah, um, I mean, all right. But uh, we kind of been. I've been going off on tangents with you, which I which I I love. Um, but I do want to give you kind of the. Okay, let's talk our our brand scaling framework. What's it for? It's to help like million dollar brands go to ten million dollars. Is like the the cheap line around it, but it's not really that. It's like, all right, we're gonna help your brand like really get the best growth that we possibly can help it get, and that comes down to this like custom site. Within that custom site, we're gonna do a lot of cool stuff 
uh, where we're trying to increase the conversion rate, obviously, but also increase the AOV. Um, and I feel like that is something that is like overlooked by almost every brand. Like the vanity metrics out there that people are always talking about are return on ad spend and conversion rate, right? Nobody gives love to AOV. And I think that it, that's a tragedy. And we give a lot of love to it during our projects because it impacts things so much. Um, and so what we're doing when we're talking about building a new website together is we're going to talk about like, all right, are people bundling your products uh, products together already within the cart? Because let's build them a, the bundling solution of their dreams that helps them do that as much as they want to do it. Bundles are an amazing way to increase AOV. Um, another thing that we we like to do is we like to you know people like to buy, but people don't like to be sold. And I think every single upsell app slash cross sell app that exists in the Shopify ecosystem is so jarring and takes you out of that experience that you go, no, I don't need an extra pair of socks. You're trying to sell me them. But when you do it like in a sexy way that like is built within the theme and it it looks like it's it's supposed to be there. This is part of the process. You're like, I actually do need more socks. Um, you know, we're doing smart stuff like that all along the customer journey to, you know, it's only gonna raise it five bucks here, ten bucks here, maybe. Like in in truth, unless you think of a killer deal, killer offer, it goes back to the offer thing. Um, but that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one thing I, I talk about a lot is um, kind of like, well, a similar thing, really. I, I focus on kind of lifetime value, customer value optimization. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so trying to avoid just like heavy discounting and promotions in order to get that conversion rate up because, you know, you, you get conversion rate up to 10%. Sounds great. But if you've half the, the average order value of those people, then that's not so great. And then if you're not doing a good job of retaining those people, that's also not great. And that tends to happen more when if you've been heavily discounting. Um, so yeah, I'm big on kind of upsell, cross-sell, um, but trying to do it in a natural way. And I suppose like building out those like complementary products. Um, yeah, there's or, a lot of... like at, at that time in a, in a brand's kind of business life cycle, I don't think they're like fully envisioning like the, those complementary products and they, like they usually don't have that strategy figured out and there's like a lot of, a lot of hand holding that has to go on with that too like educating like the why behind you know there's a method behind the mayhem and we got to teach them the strategy and be like all right now how does this strategy work for you cuz that's like the hard part of all of this is every e-commerce brand's different and there's like a lot of you know the strategy's the same but the tactics the how we're going to do it is always different and it's always an education it's a two and it goes both ways and and you know and it creates very unique, really fun results. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, this, this strategy should be the same for pretty much everyone uh, or like similar, but um, but it's how you go about actually achieving those objectives, which is going to vary. Um, yeah. It's, it's why you can't really just use best practice. You know, that best practice is like the strategy. It can guide you in the direction, but you're going to have to figure out what tweaks and changes you need to make to make it work for your business. Um, yeah, I mean... The way that you increase AOV on a luxury product website where they're selling like eighteen hundred dollar armoires is like going to be one thousand percent different than the way you increase AOV on like a fast fashion women's brand. Like those are just two completely different tactics. But the strategy is we're increasing the AOV. Here's some playbook ideas that we're going to look at and and make this work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you think about? Um... Actually, I probably know what you're going to say now. But what do you think about <laughs> those post-purchase uh, upsells? 
You know, those love like, them. like one click, uh, one click upsells. I love them. They work great. But here's the thing. It's got to be an offer that makes sense. Like you could have it like no one's going to like if I just bought a $1,500 dresser, I'm not buying another one. You know what I mean? But uh, if you've got a complimentary product that's, you know, it's like, oh, you just bought the dresser, but we have a filing cabinet. And for you, because you just bought this and my shipping is going to be the same regardless if you get this dresser or this dresser and this like side cabinet thing, you know, I can just anything I sell you is 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 going to be more money in my pocket, right? So there's a strategy there. It's like whatever money we can like get off this person is fine because of other things that happen in the business. So the freight cost is going to be the same regardless as if you, if you add something else on or not. So like selling just the side cabinet is probably not even worth it to you, but selling it on top of selling the desk is just free money. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, uh, it doesn't exactly have to be a complimentary product, then I suppose. But yeah, you, you've just got to be. It, it's it's just got to make sense, you know. If let's say you bought that, um, like a wardrobe or something, like a mm-hmm. cabinet, uh, it wouldn't make sense to then offer you a sofa in a, an upsell, or you know, something which is high consideration, uh, probably high price point. You know, those are things which which take a bit of work. You know, you've got to convince someone to to make that purchase. And if you stick it on a one-click upsell, it's probably not going to do very well. But if it's a, this can also go in the room alongside that thing, and it's like the small version of it. You know, you get a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, like you might buy a coffee table. You buy a coffee table, and then it's, and, and then you could give the upsellers maybe a, uh, I can't remember what, what they're called now. Uh, a, set of, a set of coasters would be a great upsell. A set of coasters, but I was actually thinking. Um, like a like, what's it called? One of those smaller tables that sits by the chair, like a side table. Like a side table. That that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> the, the matching, the, like the matching from the yeah. matching set. Yeah. So yeah. like the the matching side table, which you know, if the coffee table's two hundred dollars, this might be seventy five or eighty. Um, yeah. You know, maybe at a discounted price because they've bought it. But it, well, here, yeah, there, it right. makes sense because they go, well, I've, I've got that. I probably do actually want one of these, and it and you've. And it's the right set, so yeah, we'll just add that. Okay, well, here's where we can go though from this. Let's 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 run through this coffee table side p- table experiment some more, right? So, where are we going to start giving them that offer? Right, we're going to put that thing right on the products page. It's going to go. Here's the side table. I mean, here's the coffee table that you're looking at buying right now. Customers also bought this, and you give them a. a there's another. There's a secondary button on that same page. It's like buy them together for ten percent off, right? So yeah. we're offering it that that there. And then you have this is where you need a and this is the stuff that you need an agency to help you with or like a, a developer that knows what they're doing um, because no app is going to do this entire journey for you. They always like highlight one particular part of it, but you can offer upsells in a bunch of different places. You know, product page. You can also do it in the cart, either the side cart or in the cart page. Uh, those are you could offer the same offer there, right? Uh, if you're on Shopify Plus, you can actually offer that offer again within. The checkout experience. Maybe you go strike that ten percent off. You know what? For you right now, we're going to give you twelve percent off. But that this offer only asks twelve. This offer is only going to last for the next fifteen minutes, right? You can do that. You can literally do that within the checkout. Um, you know, we still haven't sold them yet, and you're like, all right, man, I'm just losing like four dollars if they don't buy this thing at twelve. Like, I can give them fifteen. So even post purchase, you can be like, all right, if you leave this page, this offer goes away. Right now, one time only, fifteen percent off. You get that side table. Like, okay, that's like a super salesy way to do it. Mm, but yeah. if you know that customers are frequently buying those things together, that's a good way to raise your AOV on that product. 
Yeah, it's like, yeah, if it makes sense to offer that product. And yeah, one way of doing it is what are people buying together? And you might find it's something completely different. You know, it might not be the matching coffee table. It might be like you said, you know, it could be some coasters or something. Everyone who buys a coffee table also buys either coasters or it might be these particular coasters. So let's offer that as an upsell, um, which would be a lot easier as well. You know, if, if, if we're talking about adding five, ten dollars to the basket, um, that's a lot easier than a fifty to seventy-five dollar side table. Yeah. And then and now it just goes back to like all of these brands are different. So it's like if you're a I'm just looking literally looking around the room I'm in for ideas. All right. So if you're a uh, skincare brand, you know, samples are a, such an easy upsell, right? I'm already if yep. I'm already got something in my cart and it's like, "Hey, do you want to get the 3 ounce sample of like the newest thing we put out?" and everyone's like, "Yeah, man, $2 or, you know, whatever it is." Like that sounds great. Um there's just it just takes foresight and thinking about it. And, and it's a lot of collaboration between you and the team that's going to help you accomplish it. Um, yeah. And I think, sorry, just on that sample, um, I think well, for me, the, the, the key thing there wouldn't, wouldn't actually necessarily be the up, the upsell, the value, you know, you're probably not going to care too much about $2 per, per sample, but you've got that opportunity for that person to then enjoy the product and then next time they come back and buy, or it might, it might not even be next time, it might be a few days later, they come back and buy that product in the full size. Yeah, I think samples actually, you know, we're talking about upsells and cross sells a lot here, but free gift with purchase is an amazing, amazing, like, uh, kind of like AOV increase kind of thing to do. Um, and a sample would be a perfect thing to do there. Or um, uh, one of our clients is talking about doing a free gift with purchase for her birthday um, just to get rid of dead stock. Yeah, as in uh, for the client's birthday. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she, she's like, it's my birthday, and everybody gets a gift. Like, you spend X amount of dollars, you're gonna get a free thing. You know, I think jewelry is what it was. Um, but yeah, it, I was like, that's yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's, um, I guess, if it's something you've identified that doesn't really sell that well, and you just kind of want to clear it out. Maybe um, people love a free gift. So I think they probably would spend spend a bit more money on stuff they want just to get this free gift that they're like, well, it's free. I'll just I'll just take it. If I don't yeah. like it, I don't like it. Yeah, well, it's not hurting me. But you know, because like the the to get the free gift, they just had to spend you know ten dollars more than your AOV during like the week you're running the campaign. So like you're already going to be net positive on all this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know that's a fun way to do it. Another one to think about is, uh, I think, just fashion in general is so fun. Um, you know, and it's cool to. I, I oftentimes like I kind of miss like uh, the print ads that you'd get like when like in the newspaper. I, I they probably still exist to be honest, but like there were so many good ideas in there. Uh, you know, buy two get one fifty percent off. Like just all these weird ways that to kind of do things. Uh, but now that I've got this like nerdy like retail mind like i see those things and like i know what they're doing here yeah exactly it's just trying to get uh well clear clear start get that average order value up sometimes it might just be for acquisition as well you know i think um if you can if you can use a promotion like that to get a new customer in and then as long as you've got that retention piece in place you're kind of you're going to cover yourself in the long term yeah Um, you know who does it just like the most aggressive it's not aggressive but the most just baller way to do it is uh, do you guys have micro centers? Mm, don't think so. Okay, micro center is a big box 
computer retailer in America. And, you know, if you end up on their email list or their, their, uh, their, their newsletter, like physical mailer list, uh, about once a quarter, they'll send you a, uh, a letter, either email or like a physical postcard that says, you know, free gift, no purchase necessary. So you can go in there and just get like either a flash drive or an SD card just for free. It's branded Micro Center. It's free. Um, but they have done the math and done the long game on understanding that if we can get these people through the door, we're going to be net positive. As in, um, if you can get me to come back to the website to claim the free gift. Then no, I'm you can't get the free gift unless you go in store. Oh, in store. Oh, well, so I mean, same thing. But if I go in store, then they're pretty confident that people who get the free gift will also, on average, spend X amount. And therefore, that, that promotion works, even though they're literally just giving away something completely free. Yeah. Like if you just looked at that on that, looked at that on paper, it probably looks, uh, you know, like, wow, these people are just giving this stuff away for free and losing a lot of money. Uh, but, you know, that's something that you know it comes with growing a business and learning about how all this stuff works it's really in, in marketing in general it's like you know the direct response uh is probably not like a big lift but like the you know the second thing is probably a huge lift yeah yeah we actually have a brand i don't know if you have it the body shop uh, i don't know if you know it. it's uh it's like uh, beauty products skincare um that sort of stuff um i don't know if they do it. Oh yeah, here we go. Free free two hundred and fifty mil shower gel when you spend twenty five quid. Um, so I know that's with a minimum spend. But I used to work for a, one of the big voucher websites in the UK uh, mm-hmm. years ago, and I'm I'm pretty sure we ran a few campaigns with them where it was uh, yeah like a free a free gift. I don't think there was a minimum spend, but you had to go in store. There was specifically in store um, uh, in store promotions. They they wouldn't offer it online as well. But part of that's probably ship, uh, to reduce shipping costs as well. Like you don't want to give away a free product and spend four or five pounds per person shipping that to them. Yeah. So uh, before we go here, and I don't know how much time we have set aside for this, but I do want to talk about uh, there is a method to the mayhem here. So we're talking about uh, what we want to do with this brand scaling framework, right? Is you want to increase the AOV, you want to increase the conversion rate, right? But you also want to increase sessions, right? And I just want to highlight that you know increasing sessions is appears to be to most individuals the easiest way to do it and they always go there first and i think that that's a bad idea because any wins you can get within conversion rate or with average order value first it is going to multiply any return of paid acquisition that you're paying on that kind of that third piece of the puzzle with increasing sessions uh, there's a lot to be said here about like how you can you know, you can do a lot with getting your own marketing strategy in place. Obviously, with lifetime value, with email, SMS, push notifications. Uh, you, know, we were just talking about earlier about postcard mailers. Like those things still work. You know, there's a lot you can do there before you even get into prospecting and trying to acquire new customers through you know avenues like Pinterest or Facebook or Google. Um, but oftentimes, uh, if you run the math and you're trying to scale aggressively using kind of the KPIs, people are coming through the door with either us or other agencies, you can kind of run the math and go like, you're losing money on this actually. But you know, if you can increase your conversion rate or you can increase your AOV or you can increase both of them and lower 
kind of your cost per acquisition because you're going to do all these smart remarketing campaigns and automations based around kind of owned, you know, the relationships that you own with your customers. You do all this, and now you're going to be extremely profitable when you start to kind of get into spending more on acquiring new customers. So the the, the correct way to do it is if you're thinking about doing a website redesign and your KPIs are okay, you're like approaching that million dollar mark, like you're definitely going to want to focus on like building the best user experience you can to get the best conversion rate you can. Like spend time and strategize on how you're going to increase your AOV with smart cross sells and upsells and maybe some cool promotions to go along with it. That's where you need to focus all your time and energy because, you know, Facebook and Google are always going to be there, uh, but the traffic that they give you won't uh, because it is predicated on the amount of money you have to spend. And I'd much rather that money return, you know, for five x than return for two x. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think, um, especially, I mean, if if you've grown the business to a million a million a year in revenue, you know, and you're feeling pretty good about things, I guess the default option can quite easily be. Right, let's let's find an agency who can spend more money for us and drive yes. more traffic and then we'll earn more money. But yeah, you're right. If if first you look at the website and say, where can we actually optimize this experience and make sure we're getting more more customers, you know, more of that of those sessions into customers who are spending more money, then we scale up. Suddenly you see a massive increase, like massive increase in uh in profit. Which is the, yeah, and the you can thing, really. it it it's it's funny because it, it's just three numbers, right? And but these numbers are compounding, so you know you increase one ten percent, one ten percent, one ten percent. You've actually increased everything across the board thirty three percent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. I, I, we are kind of out of time actually, but this has been really, really great stuff. Really fascinating stuff. Is there anything else you want to add just before we we finish up? Uh, yeah, if you enjoy uh, if you enjoy listening to me talk about this stuff, I, I interview a lot of awesome founders on our podcast, Honest Ecommerce. You can check that out at honestecommerce.co.co. Um, or if you are interested in learning more about our agency and working with us to kind of run you through this brand scaling framework and make you a, a bunch of money, uh, you can check us out at electriceye.io. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I had a blast. While there was a bunch of great stuff there from Chase, I particularly like that he talked about improving conversion rates, AOV, and and focusing on repeat customers, he made a really important point about keeping your website clean. And it's particularly important if you're on Shopify. Every widget you add adds code to your website that doesn't get removed when you uninstall the app. It's really important to remember that and to take his advice of backing up your website before adding new widgets. Every bit of code adds complications and slows down your website. If you'd like to talk to Chase about this, reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, we've got Sully from BombTech joining me, and we're going to be talking about how he grew BombTech Golf and his approach to email marketing. But until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.